Ma Coco? Aye. For Maui, it's a new beginning. With honor and deep respect, we're moving forward. We're ready to get people back to work. We all have to do our part, and we'll make this happen. Working together. We are ready to work. Ready to serve. All ready. 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 We are ready. For more information, visit makokomoe.com. Aloha, I'm Lynn Kawano with the other side of paradise. The 23-year-old man accused of a grisly murder in one of Honolulu's most exclusive neighborhoods is back in Hawaii to face charges. Juan Tejedor Baron was arrested in California by LAPD and deputy U.S. Marshals days after the victim, 73-year-old Gary Ruby, was found dead in the bathtub of his Hawaii Lower Ridge home on March 7th. His body was encased in cement and covered with coffee grounds, police say, in an attempt to hide the smell. He does talk about a place off limits, a room that you were not allowed to go to. Jonathan Sapi, Hawaii News Now's digital producer, put together a documentary about the crime. He spoke exclusively with other men who had been in Gary Ruby's home even after his death, but had no idea about the alleged events that took place there and what was behind a locked door. Some of the most interesting characters in this documentary I spoke to were two interviews by friends of Scott Hannon. That is the person who was once considered a suspect in this case. You remember when the news broke that first week when we were learning all those details. We heard a lot about Juan Theodore Barone and Scott Hannon. That was the man initially labeled a suspect in this case. Of course, as we found out, he was later cleared of any suspected uh Involvement, yeah, in this crime, you know. So police said he had nothing to do with it. But we learned a lot about how he got wrapped up in in it and how he got wrapped up with Juan Theodore Barone. I spoke to two of his friends. They were all on vacation here together. Those two friends, Mohamed Dowdy and Ronald Wu, arrived first in Honolulu and started hitting the clubs. So they went out dancing. They went to a downtown nightclub. They were dancing, having fun. Somehow, around late in the night, they met and got chatting with Juan, and they had a good time. They had more drinks, more dancing. And then when they left, he actually offered them a ride. They were having fun. I have some video you'll see in the documentary. They're singing in the car. We now know that car is Gary Ruby's car. That the Audi. Yes, exactly. That's the car they were cruising from the nightclub in downtown to Waikiki. Mohamed Dowdy's friend Scott Hannon was flying in the next day to join them. That's how Hannon was introduced to Juan Tejador Baron. The four of them started partying together. There's all sorts of pictures of them drinking around Waikiki, having fun, going to the beach. Just a typical thing you'd want from a vacation. Barone and Hannon appear to be getting close. Videos show the two holding hands as they continue their parting through Honolulu. 
I don't have precise details that there was anything romantic, but if you look at the pictures, there's two people closer than anyone else in those pictures. There's arms around each other, and it seems like they had been forming, at least, if not romantic, a very close friendship. How long had Juan Baron been here in Honolulu? It was weeks. I can't tell you exactly how many. It would have been over two to three weeks that we know. It would have been over two to three weeks, I should say this. We know that the brother of the victim, uh, Gary Ruby, uh, was informing police that his brother hasn't got a hold of him. That was in late January, early, early February. We know that these guys got here, that we know that the friend group got here in late mid-February. So Juan had to have been here a few weeks, right, if he is, in fact, the killer. How did you find these, these men? You know what? That's, it really wasn't hard to do. It, it wasn't. We found other men, too. They're in the documentary as well that live here on the island that also had very similar encounters with Juan Barone, also going to the home of Gary Ruby with Juan, having drinks there. He was inviting people over. One man in particular who Jonathan interviewed talked about a room in the Hawaii Lower Ridge home that Barone kept locked. does talk about a place off limits a room that you were not allowed to go to and it was locked and specifically off limits we're assuming that is the room where the bathtub was that was had gary ruby's body in it and encased with concrete and did no one ever wonder why i mean certainly when i go to someone's house they if said it's no off limits, smell they said no smell they didn't and that's why i wonder you hear all these things about the coffee grounds like i wonder and this is all speculation if that coffee grounds was just a last ditch effort because everyone i've talked to smelled nothing and had no clue other than the room being off limits but they also said that that barone would smoke weed a lot yeah that it, would cover a smell right? right right absolutely and that perhaps that was one reason but you know when when you go to someone's house off limits is usually that's the baby's room and the baby's sleeping or that's my mother's room did they ever give him a reason why that room was off limits not off limits not they never give me a reason why it was off limits or why he was saying it was off limits but something interesting they did tell me is why or what juan was doing to have all this money what kind of 23 year old has enough money to afford a house in hawaii lower ridge right and an audi yeah an audi so they questioned it muhammad specifically questioned it and ronald and he claimed to run and be a part operator with his family a chain of car dealerships uh muhammad questioned him further and he said this was his first baby red flag he's like this isn't completely true he's like what kind of car dealership is it is it is it what brand is it new is it used and he just had like bumbling answers is the best way i would say one responded to him and then muhammad was like was it like a carmax and then he just said yeah 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 it's like a carmax and he like instantly got that you know you get that clue i'm not getting the full truth here While some started questioning Juan Baron, it appears he did have many others fooled. Here's one something I want to say that I've learned about Juan Baron is he, everyone uh, sort of relates him to this show on Netflix called Inventing Anna. I love it's, that show. Yeah, and Tinder Swindler. There are parallels, parallels here. He 
was a good scammer to so many people I talked to already. Not just about the lies he told, but little things. Not just about the car dealership, but other little things. There was an instance when the group of three from the Bay Area had a tour book that they booked weeks prior to this vacation. They have three tickets, and you know they book up, especially this time of year, spring break. Juan wants to go, so he gets on the bus with them. There's four of them now. He says that he, to the bus driver, we've always booked four tickets. You guys messed up. We booked four tickets. He's scamming his way onto this tour bus, like, and he gets on. He eventually talks his way on, and I think he does it, does it at a discounted price. It, it paints a picture, right? And he I does. can only imagine him doing it to Scott, too. Like, I think Scott was some way, I want to say, almost under the spell of this guy who's really good at playing people. And, and you bring up Inventing Anna and, and Tinder Swindler. You know, those are shows about people with this type of personality trait. Of course, Juan Perón is only accused. Um, you know, we were told that he confessed. I heard this from the L.A. side as well as out here in Honolulu. Uh, but do you think then that he really was able to have a spell over everyone, not just because he was such a good talker and a smooth talker, but because he was able to buy drinks and he was able to... He did have the money. He had the car. He had the house. That that gives you good, you know... Credibility. Uh, credibility, and you would believe it more often. When you're seeing these people driving an Audi, he, he has it physically. When you're going to this multi-million dollar house, why wouldn't I believe him? I certainly wouldn't think he's hiding the homeowner's dead body in the bathtub buried in concrete. It would lead me to think he's credible. After a few more days, the first two men who arrived on vacation, Ronald Wu and Mohammed Dowdy, were done, ready to go back home to California. Scott was supposed to leave with them and head back to the mainland. And then, so this also leads, you asked about their relationship, Juan and Scott. Scott wants to stay. Ronald and Mohammed like, no, we got plans. We're going back to the mainland. And they did, They were sort of sick of Juan, too. They said he was getting annoying. But let's go back to Gary. He had, you would only imagine he's under some sort of spell or he's into this guy, too. If he's, uh, if he's, what everything we've known so far, he was a guest of Gary's house, right? He was. There was, police have said they were in some sort of relationship. So we can only imagine what Juan's telling Gary or what stories he's told him. And the police said as well that Gary Ruby's brother called and said he was in a relationship with a 23-year-old. Mm. And they go to the house and there's a 23-year-old, right? But there's no sign of Gary Ruby. Police in Los Angeles took Baron's confession and the records show he said he wrapped a belt around Gary Ruby's neck and tightened it until he lost consciousness. He dragged the body to the bathtub, slit Ruby's wrists to try to fake a suicide. Then Barone filled the tub with concrete from in the garage and additional bags he later purchased. And there's a big potential lie here that we got to talk about that's a really important part of this story. And it's a really important part of any potential defense that Barone may be trying to work into his trial that will only take place. Again, if he doesn't plead guilty, he get, did allegedly confess. But that is this whole thing about Gary Ruby being HIV positive. And we got to talk about that because that could, he's saying... Gary, after having sex, that Gary told him that he was HIV positive, and that sort of flipped a switch in him, Barone. I'm talking. He snapped, about, right? He's he sna- saying that, but 
everyone's saying that's not true. His family saying that's, that's not, not true. true. His friends told me it's not true. And he said, we're the type of people who would have talked about it. None of us would have thought it's a big deal. This is a man who survived the AIDS crisis in the 80s. He's going to be open about talking about this kind of stuff. He's not going to keep it clo closeted or closed up by any means. And I bring it up because if you're this good at scamming people, you're going to be thinking when you're being detained in the back of the car, okay, I'm screwed. How am I going to get out of this? Well, I might have to confess, but if I say this... That could get me a little bit out of trouble, right? Right. Then people start saying, well, I mean, I kind of get it. He snapped, right? Crime of passion. Yeah. Uh, but but in all honesty, I don't think a lot of people really believe that at the point. Mm -mm. Certainly not Gary Ruby's family and friends. And let's talk about him for a minute because lost in all of this chaos and just this very salacious story is, is this man who, who believed and, and seemed to be having this strong romantic feeling for... This 23-year-old who, who may have, have scammed him. We don't know much about their relationship, right? We don't know how close they considered each other. Was this just Gary flying someone out who convinced him, like, I need a vacation? Or did they have a long-term internet relationship? Have they met physically before? We don't know any of that. And not a lot of other, not a lot of other people do. I would imagine his brother... Like you said, he did mention that he was in some sort of new relationship, and that's what police have said also, but we really don't have a lot of details about what that was. Everything I've talked to from his friends, niece, that knew him, seems like a super nice guy. You hear about the little gifts he used to give his niece, like really meaningful gifts, not anything about wealth. His friend said like no one would have even known he had any money. He didn't. He lived in Queen Emma Gardens for a long time before moving to another place, and then eventually ending up in Hawaii Low Ridge. No, he didn't even know. He said, I don't even know how he afforded that place. He always lived modestly. His niece said he wore the same shirt over and over again for years and years and years and years. And his friend even said when they went to dinner here in town, he would keep, clip coupons. You know, and maybe that's how he was able to afford that yeah, house. Yeah, exactly. Right. He made money. He worked for the state for many, many years. He maybe saved up. And, and then it this, was a dream home, though. It, it was his it dream. It meant something to him. Court records show Juan Baron was trying to take ownership of the home, claiming he purchased it from Ruby. He had been successful at transferring the Audi into his name on February 7th. Baron is charged with identity theft, theft and murder in the second degree. He was captured in California while allegedly trying to flee to Mexico on a Greyhound bus. That's episode 17 of The Other Side of Paradise. I'm Lynn Kawano. Mahalo for listening.